It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Tyler's Place podcast, the podcast by brothers for brothers, brought to you by the Supreme Council of the Scottish Rite, Southern Jurisdiction for the United States of America, Mother Supreme Council of the World. We're inside the House of the Temple in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Maynard Edwards, 32nd degree, KCCH. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, you can email me, podcast at scottishrite.org. And if you have not done so, take a minute and bounce over to our YouTube channel. We've got some great content over there I think you'll really enjoy. Uh, you can subscribe to the channel, share some of the videos. Really does help us out, helps us make more videos, believe it or not, and helps spread the light of Freemasonry to even more people. So, like I said, bounce over there and check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Scottish Rite of Freemasonry and you'll find our double-headed eagle there. Subscribe and let us know what you think. Again, email us, podcast at scottishrite.org. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter went to visit Taos, New Mexico, and stumbled across the Kit Carson Museum, which happens to be owned and operated by a Masonic Lodge. And uh, they were kind enough at that Masonic Lodge to show her around and invite her in and, and you know, kind of give her the VIP treatment. And uh, they sent home a little patch from the Kit Carson Home and Museum for me, which was a really cool thing and one of the best parts about being a Freemason is when you make those connections for people scattered all across the world. And I, I appreciate their hospitality, but then I got really curious about Brother Kit Carson and about the museum itself. So I thought, why not give him a call? So joining us today is Brother Dave Cordova. He is the museum manager and docent at the Kit Carson Museum in Taos, New Mexico. And he's also the worshipful master of Bent Lodge number 42 in Taos. And that's the lodge that owns, operates, and manages the Kit Carson Memorial Foundation. So he's the guy kind of in charge of the whole thing. Brother Dave, thank you for joining us. I think a lot of people might know the name Kit Carson, but maybe aren't as familiar today with exactly who he was and what he did. Obviously, they associate him with the Wild West, but give us a little more information about Brother Kit Carson, his personal life, his family, how he became involved with Freemasonry. Just run it down for us. Well, Kit Carson got the bug to come to the south, uh, to the southwest when he was 16 years old, and uh, traveled the Santa Fe Trail, made it all the way to New Mexico, uh, worked various jobs. He was a hardworking man. Uh, he was instrumental in uh, a lot of hunting, trapping. Uh, he became a scout for uh, John Fremont, accompanied him on three of his expeditions. Uh, mapped out California, mapped out the the, uh, the trail all the way to the, uh, well, the Oregon Trail, and did, was very instrumental in all of that. 
1838, he married an Arapaho lady. She had, uh, they had two little girls. One girl, the youngest one, died tragically. The uh, oldest one was taken to St. Louis to, to, uh, so that she could attend school with one of Kit Carson's sisters. Then brought her back. And, but in 1843, he married a Spanish woman here in Taos. And they lived in Taos for 25 years before he was given command of Fort Garland in Southern Colorado. So uh, he was very involved Masonically. He uh, was involved with a lot of uh, Masonic patrons. John Fremont was a Mason. Senator Hart Benton, who, uh, President Polk, who were both the architects of the Manifest Destiny, they were all Masons. The Bent brothers were Masons. So there was all these different connections. So in 1854, Kit Carson uh, was uh, initiated, passed, and raised in Santa Fe at Montezuma Lodge that was being chartered out of Missouri. So uh, Ben Lodge, uh, so in 1860, Kit Carson, Lucian Maxwell, Saron St. Brain, and some others, they went to Missouri and brought back a charter to uh, open their own lodge here in Taos, which was uh, then called Bent Lodge. Bent, Governor Bent, who served five months as the territorial governor, uh, was assassinated or massacred in 1847. So the name of the lodge became Bent after Governor Bent. Now, Governor Bent turns out that uh, he was married to uh, Kit Carson's wife's older sister. So in essence, Kit Carson and Governor Bent were brothers. So he, uh, they went to Missouri, brought back a charter, and Kit Carson served as junior warden and then senior warden, would have been master the following year, except that the lodge went dark because of the Civil War. So Masonically, there is a lot of connection, and it also uh, speaks to the man's morality. What about his involvement with the lodge? Was he just on the periphery? It seems like he was pretty deeply involved. Well, one of the, uh, the neatest stories that we know about is that Kit Carson would travel to Santa Fe uh, to attend lodge. He rode, or he preferred to ride a mule, and the mule was more sure-footed, according to him, and smarter than a horse. So he rigged up a uh, special saddle because it took him two days to get from Taos to Santa Fe to attend Lodge. And he would he had a special saddle that he made himself, I guess, where he would strap himself in and he would be able to sleep. So it was like the self, self-driving self vehicle or the first self-driving vehicle. But the other thing is, is that in uh, when he became the, uh, when he chartered, the uh, or help charter Bent Lodge in 1860. They uh, were definitely very hands-on. They uh, supposedly raised. Now there there's information because all of the records belong to the Missouri Grand Lodge, and there is a book published that I've seen and I wish I could get a hold of. But it has a lot of information about a lot of a lot of the goings on here at Bent Lodge. The other thing is is that Kit Carson died in 1868. In 1869, one of the biggest populous areas in New Mexico was between Eagle Nest and Angel Fire, again, in the northern part of, of the state. And when Kit Carson died in 1868 and 1869, the, there was some Masons in Elizabethtown that went to Missouri and got a charter and named it Kit Carson Lodge, 369. 
So now the other thing is, is that the original lodge was chartered out of Missouri. It was Ben Lodge number 204. Now it is Ben Lodge number 42, but now it's chartered under New Mexico, the New Mexico Grand Lodge. And the Masons bought the house in 1909 when Bent Lodge, the new Bent Lodge, petitioned for a charter. And I think that to, I guess, sweeten the deal, they uh, told the Grand Lodge that they would purchase Brother Kit Carson's house in their name, which they did. And in 1916, the uh, Grand Lodge of New Mexico deeded the property to Bent Lodge. And it's been our concern since I never lose sight of the fact that when I'm in there, I touch uh, history. I touch the spirit of history. I don't know about Kit Carson because he didn't pass there, but uh, certainly I feel the age. The other thing is, is that when Kit Carson married Josefa, he purchased Josefa's uh, family's, a house that belonged to Josefa's family and gave it to her as a wedding present. In uh, 1856, Kit Carson was made the Indian agent to represent the Moachi Utes, the Hikaria Apache, and the Taos Pueblo, and had to turn one of the rooms in the house, the original three rooms, turned one room into an office. That meant that he needed another room. So he was instrumental in building that fourth room. So he had a hand in building that room. Ben Lodge number 42 in Taos, which is the lodge that you're the worshipful master of. You manage, own, operate the Kit Carson Museum and home there. How did the lodge get involved in you know, taking back and beginning the restoration process? I imagine that's that's been a pretty tough process. So tell me what that was like. Uh, one of the stories that I like to tell is how Kit Carson and Josepa died within one month of each other. Wow. In his will, he made sure that the children were going to be taken care of. So he instructed his, uh, I guess, nephew to uh, sell the house, sell all of the, all of the belongings, sell everything he could or everything they could to provide for the children. But they used to come to Taos every once in a while. Now remember that Kit Carson and Josefa both died in Colorado. So uh, the children would come to visit their aunt and other family here in Taos, they would go into the house, they'd find items, and they'd go across the, the road to a man named Ralph Myers, and they'd sell him, uh, not to sell him, but just to not go and ask for money. So they would, they would find a trinket, they would find something, and go across the street and say, I've got these, uh, what, what will you give me? for?" Now, in it, there was a Josefa's sewing kit, no intrinsic value, but it's in the house where it was back way back when. Kit Carson's saber that was given to him when he became a colonel of the New Mexico Volunteer Army. Also, uh, branding, Kit Carson's branding iron, it's a double C. These are items that we bought at an auction where the man, uh, Ralph Meyer's son, found all of these items and put them up at an auction. So we were able to acquire some of those artifacts. The other thing we have is Kit Carson's Masonic apron. It was, it ended up with the Grand Lodge of New Mexico. And I think that the reason being that the apron was in New Mexico, Kit Carson died in Colorado and was buried in Colorado initially. So they were separated and they didn't, it didn't go with, with Kit Carson into the grave. So uh, we have that on loan from the uh, Grand Lodge of New Mexico. Under the flap is his signature. 
And it was uh, known, very well known, that Kit Carson was illiterate. So he couldn't read and write, but he could draw. So I think that what he did is he drew uh, his famous signature, which is C. Carson. And uh, so that is in there. The other thing that was in the house, and it's been there for a long, long time, two items. One was his writing desk, which people say, well, if he was illiterate, what did you need a writing desk for? Well, he drew, he drew maps. He, and the other thing is, is that he would have probably a secretary of some sort to take his dictation and to answer correspondence and do all of that. The other item is in a little box that is Kit Carson's uh, baby blanket, supposedly made for him by Rebecca Carson in 1809. Wow. Now, there are stories about how Kit Carson would take a satchel with him everywhere he went. And they used to say, well, you know, instead of taking that satchel, which doesn't do anything for you, why don't you take food? Well, it meant a lot to him. It was his only connection to his family, I think. So he, uh, he carried that. We have that. Uh, when I first got there in April, last April, I found the box and I opened the box and I touched the blanket and it came and turned to dust in my hand. I have made sure that it can't be opened anymore because that's, uh, it is old. I mean, it is very sure. old. You know, the, uh, the biggest thing is that corporations that ran the museum didn't do a very good job of taking care of the museum. So uh, we had to take the museum back, that, that is uh, Ben Lodge, because of the care that is necessary for a building that old. Uh, now, the original building, the first, the original three rooms that front Kit Carson Road are uh, three years shy of being 200 years old, according to the records that we have. The other room, of course, was built in 1856, and it's a little bit more solid. But when they build in New Mexico, or during that period of time, they built walls that were uh, made out of adobe. But that's uh, adobe brick, which is uh, dirt, uh, straw, and sand, and well, that's, that's what it is, baked in the sun. And the thing about it is that they build structures that, with walls that are 24 inches thick sometimes. So they have a good stability. But there is also a uh, problem with moisture leaking into the walls and deteriorating the strength of the wall and also uh, melting the adobe, which becomes very problematic. Now, the good thing about this building is that it never lost its roof. The other building that is associated on the property is, uh, we call it the Romero House because a family named Romero lived there. And the thing about that place was that it was in very bad shape when Kit Carson bought it for $125, apparently. And uh, he and his family rebuilt the, uh, the walls and put on a roof. Now, the other thing that, that is going to be necessary is not only the, the maintenance or, or the repair right now, but it's also the ongoing maintenance that is going to be required in future years. It's my understanding that Kit Carson was never comfortable with his notoriety. How did he come to be such a renowned personality? And how did he handle it despite not liking it? Well, the way the whole thing was done was it was a chance meeting between Kit Carson and uh, John Fremont that uh, spurred the whole thing. I don't think that that chance meeting had not happened. I do not believe that we would know as much about Kit Carson and certainly not John Fremont. Well, I mean, you know, John Fremont was, uh, uh, was his own entity. He did his own thing. 
but it was that connection. Now, John Fremont wrote, he journaled a lot. He wrote diaries. He wrote letters to his daughter, uh, to his wife, uh, Jesse Benton Hart. Now, Jesse Benton Hart. Uh, so Jesse was the daughter of uh, Senator Thomas Hart Benton. And uh, so that was his connection, or uh, that was uh, John Fremont's connection to the manifest destiny in helping the Southwest. So when he went back with all these journals, Jesse took, took it upon herself to clean everything up and have them published. When these people in New York or in the East, they all read about Kit Carson and, and this, this larger than life figure, and they started to write about Kit Carson. People that never met Kit Carson, people that had no idea who Kit Carson was, never met a Native American, and never been to the Southwest, yet they wrote all these things about, about Kit Carson. Now, when Kit Carson found out about it, he was not happy with the portrayal. He was uh, a very modest man. Uh, I think that that was very obvious, that he did not appreciate a lot of the, the, the stuff that was written. As a matter of fact, in uh, later life, he dictated his life story uh, to a couple different people. One of them was a doctor, the doctor that was taking care of him. And in each case, after it was written and read back to him, he said, no, it can't be published. We, we're not gonna put that out. I mean, that's not, that's not true, that's not me. But in 1874, after Kit Carson and Josepa passed, the children needed money, so they were able to, to sell the manuscript. So we do sell that book at the, uh, at the museum. It's the autobiography of Kit Carson. But in, uh, in a lot of the other things, it's, uh, there's a famous story of Kit Carson going to the rescue of uh, Mrs. White. And uh, they got there just a little bit too late. She had already been killed. But in, uh, next to Mrs. White was found a book called Kit Carson, The Prince of the Gold Hunters. And in it, Kit Carson was... Uh, this uh, savior, this 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 man who could save anybody, and uh, and and he felt really bad in, throughout his life that he wasn't able to live up to the expectations published in that book. So there 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 are a lot of things about Kit Carson. He has uh, a lot of fame and a lot of infamy, uh, mostly due to uh, his being a um, a uh, man who was very moral and followed orders. The thing that got him into the most trouble is because he followed the orders that were given to him by uh, the general. So, Obviously, overseeing the museum, there must be some Kit Carson stories that you have come across. Any particulars you'd like to share with us or some further resources about the brother Kit Carson? I think there's, there's a lot of stories that I've, I've, I've heard recently. And we do have a little video that is produced by the History Channel, and anybody can, can uh, download that, uh, YouTube it. And it is, uh, the, the part that we show, it's only 20 minutes long, and it's about Kit Carson coming to the Southwest. In it, Kit Carson's great-grandson portrays the role of Kit Carson. That is John Carson, who has been a docent at Bent's Fort in Southern Colorado. And he looks every bit of what we know Kit Carson to have looked like. The uh, fair skin, the freckles, the blue eyes, the, uh, the reddish blonde hair, the shortened stature. Kit Carson was only 5'5". Five five. And um, he is uh, uh, stocky and uh, very much like what we know what Kit Carson to have looked like. So what I suggest people, you know, uh, we uh, have a book in the, uh, in the museum called Blood and Thunder written by Hampton Sides. 
that is about the whole story about Kit Carson, just coming to the Southwest, everything. And uh, I tell people that to pay attention to Kit, the person playing Kit Carson, because now you have a visage of, of who Kit Carson was. The other thing is that in the book, there's a story about the uh, saber I mentioned earlier that we acquired at, the, uh, at that auction. It's a saber that was given to Kit Carson in 1861. But there's a story about Kit Carson in Albuquerque waiting to cross the, uh, the Rio Grande on a ferry. And also two women were waiting. And this man came over and started to harass the two young women. He was trying to displace them so that he and his horse could take the ferry across the uh, river. Kit Carson went up to the man and told him, leave the women alone. The man told Kit Carson to mind his own business, which was not a good thing. Kit Carson took the saber, probably with the scabbard or the broad side of it anyway. He didn't pierce him. He just used it to knock him upside the head into the river. When he didn't come out, Kit Carson had to jump in and fish him. So, I mean, these are stories that humanize the, the larger-than-life person. And a lot of people either know a lot about Kit Carson or nothing about Kit Carson. I have people from California, from uh, Carson, California, come in and saying, well, you know, I live in Carson, California. Is that any, anything to do with Kit Carson? Yeah. Kit Carson was uh, very inf- uh, is, is uh, a big influence in what California became. There's also a story about the Battle of San Pasqual, which was uh, 30 miles north of San Diego. And uh, Kit Carson, uh, Midshipman Keen, and a native uh, scout uh, were sent to San Diego to get help. Uh, they were in a, in a battle with the Mexicans there. And uh, Kit Carson took off his boots because they squeaked, and he didn't want to draw attention to, to, to his being there. So he took off his boots and lost them. So he made the trek. 30 miles barefooted. By the time he got to the commandant's office in in, uh, San Diego, his feet were in such bad shape that uh, they wanted to amputate his feet. And he said, no, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die with my feet. You know, so uh, he spent about a month in a hospital ship in the Bay of uh, San Diego, but he recovered and uh, he lived to at least 58 years old. That was Brother Dave Cordova, he is the Worshipful Master of Bent Lodge in Taos, New Mexico, and also the museum manager and docent at the Kit Carson Museum and Home in Taos. And just, it's a great tour, and I have it from good authority, being my daughter, to uh, to say that it's a wonderful museum and something that if you're in your Masonic travels and you happen through New Mexico, you definitely need to check out. And for our Scottish Rite Masons out there, if you're visiting the Valley of Santa Fe, make sure you ask them to show you Kit Carson's rifle. They've got it on display there in the Valley of Santa Fe, and I hear that it is an artifact not to be missed. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tyler's Place podcast. As always, email us, podcast at scottishright.org. From the House of the Temple in Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Maynard Edwards, 32nd degree KCCH, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Tyler's Place 